This is Matt Mansfield. Thanks for joining the Points in the Paint podcast. New episodes are published weekly and can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Points in the Paint. The NBA season is coming to a close. It's finally the NBA Finals. Uh, We didn't know if we would even make it to this point. Yet here we are. We have a crazy matchup. I don't think many people would have expected the Heat to be rolling through the Eastern Conference, but the five-seeded Heat, the third team, seeded fifth or lower to ever make it to the NBA Finals. Here they are. They have officially sealed the deal with a big win over the Boston Celtics last night. And I think last night's game was definitely, it was an interesting game. You saw Boston was in this thing for a while. Boston gave themselves a fighting chance. They were pushing it. They really were alive, and it looked like they could win this game late in the fourth quarter. But then you get towards crunch time, and this Heat team was flat out better than the Boston Celtics. And I think that's the biggest problem the Celtics had is they seemed like they couldn't close things out. They did, yes, they came back from that deficit against the Toronto Raptors. They kind of, they couldn't close out that series, it seemed. They had a lead. They nearly blew it. They ended up winning that game seven. I think it was, yeah, game seven. But the biggest problem was for the Boston Celtics this postseason, they just couldn't close things out. It was it was just, they were there. They're a talented team. But they don't have that finishing kick yet. They don't have the ability to go into a series and say, hey, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to win it. And I think that's kind of what cost this Celtics team a trip to the finals. Fortunately for the Lakers, I think that, unfortunately for the Lakers, the the Heat are a better matchup for the Lakers in the NBA Finals. I think this Heat team, I know the Lakers went 2-0 against them this regular season. But I don't think the regular season, it was, they, I don't think they've played since, what, December? It's been a hot minute since the Heat and, Cel- it, Heat and Lakers have matched up. And I would say that the Heat are a tough challenge because the one thing that the Lakers are struggling with right now is shooting. And that's what the Heat are built off of. The Heat have incredible shooters. They've got guys like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, uh, Dra- Dragic, a lot of these guys. And I know a lot of people like to spread that false narrative that Andre Iguodala is this LeBron stopper. And I don't think that's true. While he is better suited than a lot of people to handle LeBron, he is not the LeBron stopper that a lot of people think that he is. He won an NBA Finals MVP because he held LeBron to what? Like 28 points, 8 and 8 or something along those lines. He did not shut down LeBron at all, but he kind of gets this reputation for being a lot better on the defensive end of the court against a guy like LeBron James way more than he deserves that reputation. But I think what we can do here this episode, we're just going to break down a little bit of what's going on in the NBA Finals. You have the Lakers, you have the Heat. So both of these teams, I think there's a few storylines going in. Uh, The first one I want to touch upon is LeBron James, the greatness of King James. LeBron is now playing in his 10th NBA Finals. He starts up the 10th time he's been in the NBA Finals. And I know a lot of people want to criticize LeBron and say, wow, he's, what is he, what, three and six in the Finals. He doesn't win. He doesn't close that out. The biggest thing with LeBron making the finals, the biggest difference between him and Jordan is LeBron closed out the NBA finals. LeBron has been to the NBA finals. He's closed out a lot of series in the Eastern Conference, now in the West, but he's never been on the best team. Every time LeBron has been to the finals, he has been on the underdog team for the most part. He's been on a team that isn't quite as good as what you would think a team making the NBA finals would be, whereas Jordan was always on the best team in the league. And now I think LeBron is going into this finals, a chance to win ring number four. And for a lot of people, I think this could move LeBron past Jordan on their GOAT status list. I've had LeBron there since he beat the Warriors coming back from that three to one deficit. But I think a lot of people are going to be looking at this and saying, wow, LeBron just won a fourth title. He's done it everywhere he's been. 
and he did it with the Lakers, one of the greatest franchises in NBA history. So I think this title for LeBron could definitely push him over the edge, but I think a lot of people need to realize that while he is on the best team in the league, it's a lot of it is because of him and Anthony Davis. The guys on that team right now, Danny Green has been horrendous. I don't think Danny Green is really that good of a player. I know that a lot of people remember he's had some nice playoff runs, but this version of Danny Green who shot 27% this past series in the Western Conference Finals, hopefully he can pick it up a little bit. I don't think you can get too much worse than what Danny Green was playing like. He shot under 30% from three, under 30% from the field. Danny Green was awful in the Western Conference Finals. Obviously, Anthony Davis and LeBron are 1A and 1B on this Lakers team. Both of them have been crushing it this postseason. So I think that's your biggest strength. But outside of those two, I worry about the depth that this Lakers team has. Whereas I think the Heat have a very not a big problem but they have a problem but it's the opposite is I think Jimmy Butler is a great player he's awesome he is probably now a top 10 player in the league making the finals leading this heat team to the finals but overall they don't have a superstar the same way that LeBron and Anthony Davis are I think that the heat lack what the Lakers have but they also have what the Lakers don't which is depth the heat have a lot of guys Tyler Hero stepped up a lot this postseason uh, he's really showed he's showed out the first player born in the 2000s to make it to the NBA Finals. So a really neat stat there with Tyler Hero. And then you have a lot of guys. Duncan Robinson is an awesome shooter. Whenever he's on, he's going to be tough to stop. You have a guy like Bam Adebayo, a really good player. He and Jimmy could be a 1A, 1B matchup as well. The same way we talk about LeBron and AD being 1A, 1B on the Lakers. You kind of have that with Jimmy and Bam. But overall, the late and they've got a guy like Goran Dragic. A lot of these other guys... So I think that the Heat's depth is going to keep them alive in this series. I don't think the Heat can win the NBA Finals. I don't. I think they're good, but they're not good enough to overcome the LA Lakers. So I would say that in the grand scheme of things, this Heat team is going to push them. I think it's going to be a six-game series, but I don't see the Heat actually coming through, pulling through, and making this Finals. But I think that the legacy of a lot of these guys on the Heat for making this Finals has already been set. I think with Jimmy Butler making that Finals, he has exercised all the demons of his past, Every time he's left the team, people have been like, wow, Jimmy Butler, he's hard to get along with. He's not a good locker room guy. But now you have Jimmy Butler. He leaves the Chicago Bulls. They've been a mess since he left. He left the Timberwolves. What have they done since he's left? They've gotten the first overall pick in the NBA draft. And then he leaves the 76ers, who were one lucky, incredible Kawhi Leonard shot away from making the Eastern Conference Finals. They said, you know what? Get rid of him. We don't need Jimmy Butler. The 76ers look like they're, they need to rebuild. A lot of people are questioning the entire core of what that team is and what they're doing. And then you get, he goes to the Heat. A lot of people said, oh, this Heat team's not that great. They're not that good of an NBA team. And then he leads them to the finals. He's taken them through the Eastern Conference. They looked like the best team in the East. They lost, what, four games this entire postseason thus far. One and five, one and five, and then they win in six against the Celtics. So Jimmy Butler has officially certified himself as a the option to be the best player on a championship caliber team which is a huge step for him I think his legacy has been enhanced greatly throughout this postseason and then you get his coach Eric Spolstra Spolstra has been considered widely considered one of the best coaches in the league but I think right now uh, obviously not counting the greatness of Greg Popovich you're gonna have to start looking at Eric Spolstra as maybe the best coach in the NBA right now because this team like we said they're good they're not they're not a team that you would expect to make the NBA finals what Spolstra has done this is the best coaching job of his career he's won titles but that's with LeBron James being your best option it's very different having LeBron James as your number one guy 
as it is having Jimmy Butler and having to deal with guys like Tyler Hero and a little bit of the inconsistencies that you typically didn't get out of the superstars that you had whenever he was coaching the LeBron and the 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 Heatles era. So I think this coaching job by Eric Spolstra has just kind of solidified himself as maybe the best coach in the NBA. You can make a legitimate argument saying, hey, Spolstra's the best coach in the NBA right now. So for the Heat, this is just solidified legacies. This is built legacies. Now a lot of these guys, you can talk Hall of Fame talk for Jimmy Butler now. You can say, well, he led this team all the way to the finals. A guy like Tyler Hero has proved himself as, you know what, maybe he's not the Zion Williamson or the John Morant of this class, but he's the one that's made the finals, and it's not like he didn't contribute in this postseason. He has been an incredible player throughout the playoffs. He showed himself as a good option on a championship-caliber team, so there's another guy that his legacy, he's solidified himself already as one of the young superstars in the NBA. Duncan Robinson, really fun to watch. You gotta like him. Goran Dragic, obviously making the finals, contributing the way he's contributed. All of these guys on the Heat came in here with a chip on the shoulder, trying to prove something, and immediately you've seen the Heat prove that all of these guys are better than what people have said about them in years past. So I think that for the, for the Miami Heat, this championship run is so much more. They don't even need to win the championship because I think they've already proven themselves. But if they put up a really good fight throughout the NBA Finals against the LeBron-led Lakers team, they're going to go down in history as one of the most fun teams to watch throughout this, this decade or even the coming decade. And this is going to be a story that a lot of Heat fans and a lot of NBA fans are going to remember forever. A lot of these players have solidified what they are. They've kind of opened up new chapters and they've proven themselves in a different way. And a lot of people throughout the rest of their careers are going to view them as wildly different players than they were viewed before, especially a guy like Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero. A lot of these guys have shown, hey, we're legit contenders. We're legit players on a legitimate championship contending team. But on the other side of things, you, you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And a ring for them, for LeBron, we can just talk about this. Where does that put LeBron all time? Because I think... Most people I've talked to have LeBron as their first or second best player, unless you're Paul Pierce, who just refuses to give LeBron any credit because he envies him because of how much better LeBron is than what Paul Pierce ever was. So if you look at where LeBron can go from here, there's, for most people, he can go up one spot all time ahead of Jordan to become the greatest of all time. And for a, a pretty solid amount of people, including myself, he just solidifies his legacy as the GOAT even more. So for a lot of people, LeBron winning this fourth ring, what does it mean? It would be his fourth ring on his third different team, which means everywhere that LeBron has been, he's gotten them a title. His first stint in Cleveland, he didn't get them a title. He brought them to the NBA Finals, but that, that but in the grand scheme of things, he was on, that was probably the worst teams he's ever played on, was in Cleveland. He was young. He wasn't proven yet. So LeBron winning that champion, LeBron didn't win the championship there, but he did make them a relevant franchise as soon as he left. Cleveland fell apart. The Cleveland Cavaliers were absolutely horrendous once LeBron left that first time. One of the worst teams in the league. They got some first overall picks, and they still couldn't do anything with the picks that they had while LeBron was in Miami. Now you fast forward. LeBron goes to Miami. A lot of people didn't like it. They said, oh, it's a super team. It's not fair. Well, that's not the case. First of all, in Miami the last two years, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh definitely declined. Chris Bosh never really fit in with that Heat team. He was the third best player. He's a great player, but he never fit in with what the Miami Heat were doing. He was not the guy. It was LeBron and Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh was a really talented player that was just kind of there. LeBron wins a title. He wins two there. He lost two championships. The first one, 2011, 
I know that's the one blemish on LeBron's legacy. Even in my eyes, I'm, a, a, I'm an avid fan of LeBron. I will defend him so hard. But that was an embarrassing loss. LeBron James absolutely blew the 2011 Finals. 2014, the San Antonio Spurs were shooting lights out that entire series. It was one of those series where I don't even know what LeBron could have done to get them a win. Just because it seemed like San Antonio could not miss a shot that whole series. So LeBron gets to Miami. They're 2-2 two and two in the Finals there. LeBron has two rings. He sees that Miami's declining. He says, alright, we're done. I'm not going to stay here. I want to go somewhere that's going to increase my chances of winning a ring. He goes home to Cleveland. Year one in Cleveland, they lose to the Warriors. But that loss, again, I don't blame him whenever Matthew Dellavedova and Timothy Mozgov are your number two and three players because of the injuries to Kevin Love and Kyrie. Then you get there, the greatest comeback of all time in finals history, the most meaningful ring in sports history. LeBron leads Cleveland to that comeback victory over the 73-9 Warriors. Boom, that's his ring number three. So then a lot of people say that was, for me, put LeBron ahead of Jordan. Because I said nobody could have done what LeBron just did. Only LeBron James could come back from that deficit and lead this team to where they got to. So boom, LeBron was at least in the GOAT conversation for most people at that point. At least moved up to number two. For a lot of us that have him as the GOAT, that's the moment that he moved up there. And then the next two years in Cleveland, it was was the the KD Warriors era. That team was assembled because the Warriors knew they couldn't beat LeBron James. And Kevin Durant knew he couldn't beat the Warriors, so why don't they just team up and they won two rings? And then LeBron goes to the Lakers. That's fine. Year one, the team wasn't good. LeBron gets injured. The first healthy year, LeBron is there in Los Angeles now. This is his first season healthy for an entire year. During a pandemic, he takes them to the finals, and it looks like they're heavy favorites to win in the championship. All he needed was a great number two, like Anthony Davis, who, in terms of playing with LeBron... That's the best player LeBron's ever played with in terms of how their styles have matched up. Because LeBron and AD, they are just like peanut butter and jelly. They can go back and forth. And like I said, it's the one time in LeBron's career where he is the 1A and Anthony Davis is the 1B. That's how good they are together is Anthony Davis is officially becoming one of those guys that you're like, yeah, he's a go-to player on a championship team. And I still believe LeBron's the best player. But here's the thing. LeBron wins this ring in Los Angeles. He brings the Lakers franchise their first ring since the days of Kobe Bryant. He does it in a pandemic, in a bubble, in maybe the wildest season in NBA history. And you can't deny it. Everywhere LeBron goes, success comes with him. He is the greatest player of all time because there's never been a time where LeBron James has been somewhere and they haven't been good. And every time he leaves somewhere, that team gets significantly worse. Every single time LeBron James has left. Michael Jordan, whenever he left the Bulls for retirement... They were still one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and they were legitimate championship contenders. I know they lost in the second round, but that team was a legitimate championship contender. When has LeBron left a franchise, and they've been contenders? Never. Every time he's left Cleveland, they've been the joke of the league. Whenever he left Miami, they were just an average team. They weren't great. They were struggling to make the playoffs in the East. So every time LeBron is somewhere, that franchise is successful. That is a successful team. Every single time King James has stepped foot on the court for a team, but every time he leaves, they're bad. So I think this le- this championship will just solidify the fact that every time LeBron James has played somewhere, they've been legitimately the first or second best team in the NBA every single time LeBron goes somewhere. And I know a lot of people are going to try and discredit him, and the arguments are already there. They're lined up perfectly for the LeBron haters. The Oh, the Clippers lost to the Denver Nuggets. First of all, Denver is a really talented team. LeBron made light work of a team that the Los Angeles Clippers, the team that everyone thought was the best in the league, couldn't handle. 
Then you say, oh, he gets to face the fifth seeded Heat. This Heat team is really good. While I know they're not the strongest team he's ever going to face in the finals, this is a legitimately good team. They beat the Milwaukee Bucks. They've beaten teams in the, in the playoffs to prove how good they are. While they were seeded fifth, they play more like a third seeded team anyways. So you can use that argument. Then they're going to say, oh, the Blazers, they weren't that good. But every time before the series has happened, this playoffs, people have picked the Lakers to lose because they had to face a really tough Rockets team or a really tough Nuggets team or a really tough Heat, really tough Blazers team. So anything that they can do to say LeBron's going to lose, people are doing. But every time he wins, he's going to get discredited because it's going to be too easy. And I know the biggest issue this finals for LeBron is not about winning it. It's about who's going to get finals MVP. Because if LeBron James wins the championship and is not the finals MVP, his legacy does take a hit. And I don't want to have to say that. But a lot of people are going to look at it and say, LeBron was the second option on a championship winning team. Michael Jordan would never. Magic Johnson would never. They're going to throw that at him the rest of his career. He is the best player on this team. But he is for the first time at risk of winning a championship and not getting finals MVP which I think could be very scary for LeBron James. But I think he will end up getting the finals MVP, knock on wood here. I'm really, really hoping he does just so we don't have to deal with that. But then you go to the flip side. What does this mean for Anthony Davis? If Anthony Davis ends up winning finals MVP, winning this championship, just starting off with a ring, it kind of solidifies Anthony Davis's move to Los Angeles was worth it all. And I, I mean, I think it was long before they made this championship. This move was worth it. He was stuck with a Pelicans franchise that has been able to do nothing with his talent and thus far nothing with the talent they've acquired since getting rid of Anthony Davis. I know it's only been a year, but still. So Anthony Davis, if he wins this ring, and especially if he wins finals MVP, there's going to be a lot of talk for him as a top 25 all-time player. There's going to be a lot of talk as him as a top-ranked power forward. People are going to start saying, is he the best power forward ever? And they're going to forget about Tim Duncan. They're going to forget about all these all-time greats. And I don't think he's quite there yet. You need to see more out of Anthony Davis for a little bit longer period of time. But this definitely moves Anthony Davis into the talk of being one of the great players of all time. So really, the Lakers, while the, while the Heat have a lot on the line, and they've kind of proven everything by getting to the finals, the Lakers have more on the line in the finals than what the Heat have on the line. And I think when it comes down to it, you have two teams both trying to prove themselves in very drastically different ways. I think whenever it comes down to it, the Lakers need this championship a lot more than the Heat need this championship. So, yes, I'm going to pick the Lakers to win this. I've got them winning it in six, but I'm not going to count out the Heat just because I've seen this team prove us wrong time and time again throughout this playoffs. People picked them to lose in the second round. They didn't do it. Picked them to lose to the Celtics. Didn't do it. A lot of people are going to pick them to lose to the Heat, to the Lakers, excuse me. And while I think the Heat finally do give in because they're facing just a better team, it's going to be really interesting to see how they can handle the pressure of being in the NBA Finals and how the Lakers handle the pressure of being the heavy favorites to win this championship. But let's uh, let's talk about, we just spent a good 20 minutes talking about the teams that advanced to the Finals, the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Lakers. This is going to be a great Finals matchup, but we have two teams that obviously, you know, lost in the Conference Finals, and they were pretty close. The Celtics lose in six, but the series didn't feel like it went six. It felt like it was a lot shorter than that six-game series. And then you get the Nuggets, who lost in five, but it felt like a lot more of a battle for the Denver Nuggets. So let's talk about the outlook for these two teams. What's next for Boston? What's next for Denver? And can they get back to this point next year? Because nothing is guaranteed in the NBA. So starting with the Denver Nuggets, 
the NBA for the past few years has changed. You've noticed since LeBron left and went to the Heat, and even before that, whenever the Celtics formed their team that won that championship, but what was it, 08 beat the Lakers uh, with that Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, all those guys, Kevin Garnett. Uh, it seems like teams aren't building the way they used to. For From what it's been the past few years, the NBA has had teams formed this way. You have a star player in place, and you grab free agents. You try and build around him, or a star player travels to another destination. Kawhi Leonard, via trade, ended up in Toronto, wins them a title. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, end up in Los Angeles with the Clippers via free agency and a trade request from Paul George. You've had LeBron leave, head to the Lakers. How did they get to the championship? It wasn't because they had guys like Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball helping LeBron James get there. It's because they traded for another star player in Anthony Davis. They brought him in from New Orleans. The Denver Nuggets have taken a different route. The Denver Nuggets have drafted a lot of these guys. They have Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Those are the two centerpieces of this franchise. These are the guys that they're going to say, hey, we're going to rule with them. If we're going to win a championship, it's going to be through the star power of Jokic and Murray because of our good drafting. Now, it's going to be really interesting to see if they can live up to that expectation. Now. Because next year, you get the Los Angeles Clippers are going to come back motivated. This is a Clippers team that should have beaten the Denver Nuggets. So it's not like they're going to be a guarantee to get through the Clippers next year. The Utah Jazz, another team that should have beaten the Denver Nuggets, they're not going anywhere. They're coming back. Los Angeles Lakers, guess what? As long as Anthony Davis signs, which, spoiler alert, he's coming back to Los Angeles next year. The Lakers, another threat. The Houston Rockets, yes, I know, people hate them. But they can win a playoff series. They can they can be a tough out in the postseason. While I don't love them, they're not right now. We don't know what the future looks like. But if they bring back this core with a new head coach, which obviously they're going to be doing while D'Antoni searches for a new job, they could be a threat again next year. So the Denver Nuggets in the West, they also have to worry about the rise of Luka Doncic. And there's a few other teams coming up that are going to be interesting. Golden State is returning to the fold next year. They're going to be a playoff team, and they're going to be a tough out once you get to the NBA postseason. The Golden State Warriors are going to be a tough out. So the Denver Nuggets, this year was a prime opportunity for them to get that experience to maybe make a push for the finals. They did just that. They came back. They over they overcame a lot of adversity the first two rounds, came back from 3-1 deficits. They advanced to the Western Conference Finals. They lost to a flat-out better team in the Los Angeles Lakers. They lost, they ran into greatness. They ran into LeBron James. They ran into Anthony Davis. And that happens. You're fine to lose that series. But next year isn't guaranteed. So Denver doesn't have a ton of cap space. And I don't think that you're going to bring in a massive big name free agent to Denver. It's just not how it works. Those free agents, they're going to big markets. They're going to go to Los Angeles, Miami, uh, different places like that, New York, Brooklyn. Those are the fran those are the locations that you can draw someone in through free agency. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Denver, Utah, cities like that, they're not you're not gonna get people to come to you through free agency. You're gonna have to do it through the draft or you're gonna have to do it through trade. So Denver's gonna need someone to step up. Who's that person gonna be? How can Denver improve? Michael Porter Jr. is their X Factor next season. MPJ is going to have to show that he can be the third player on a championship caliber team because next year, Denver needs to look at it as a championship year. They need to be going all in on trying to win the championship because they proved, hey, 
We have the talent. We can make it this far. We pushed the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, it only went five, but we pushed them more. It felt like a six-game series. It really did, based on the way Denver played. So now Denver's going to have to really step up. I think MPJ is going to be that guy. He was supposed to be the number one overall draft pick before college started. He got the injury. He fell down draft boards. He stepped up in the bubble. He's shown how good he can be. You're going to need Jokic to continue to play the way he's played, which I think Jokic is going to be good. Jamal Murray, can he stay at this star level status or is he, does he regress whenever they leave the bubble, whenever they go to a new setting? It's going to be interesting to see what this Nuggets team can do. And like I said, they're not going to draw in the big name free agents. They're going to have to find a way to improve from within. And I think the key for this team next year is going to be Michael Porter Jr. needs to improve from within. He needs to take another step forward and become the third option on a championship caliber team. If he can do that, the Nuggets could legitimately win the West next year. But if Michael Porter Jr. can't do that or Jamal Murray regresses a little bit outside the bubble, you have a Denver Nuggets team that built up, built itself up through the draft, looked really good for a while, but they just couldn't do it. They couldn't finish the job. And like last year, we saw the Trailblazers. They made it pretty deep in the playoffs. They made it to the Western Conference Finals. You know where they were this year? First round exit. And does the future look bright in Portland? Not really. It doesn't look like a team that's going to make it that far in the playoffs anymore. Portland just looks like a team that, yeah, they've got some talent with Dame Lillard. They've got some talent with CJ McCollum but they're not going to go anywhere in the, in the Western Conference, not with what they have right now. And again, another city that's not drawing in big names. Denver is at a turning point next year. They're at the point where they can either become a championship-level team and continue to improve, or they can become a nice story, a nice story from this past season, a team that you were like, hey, they tried to build up through the draft like the good old days, like the days of the Celtics dynasty, and like, you know, day, days before we got into the modern movement era of NBA players where they can just go wherever they please. So Denver is going to have to prove, can you build from within still? Can you continue to build a team through the draft in a smaller market and become a championship winning team? Or are those days gone? I think Denver is the perfect story for, is that what's going to happen? Or is that is the past the past? Is that just a, a nice story, a nice way to build yourself into a team that competes without ever truly threatening of winning a title? So Denver's going to have to prove themselves next year as legitimate championship threats or a good story. What do we think is going to happen? It's all going to fall on the shoulders of guys like Jamal Murray, guys like Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic. And what can the role players do next year? They're going to get what Will Barton comes back next year. So this is a team that can definitely advance to the finals and prove themselves as a championship team, but nothing's guaranteed in the NBA. So next year is really going to be a year for the Nuggets, but more so for the strategy of building your team through the draft. It's going to be a big test, a final test for how that strategy works. And it's all coming down to the Denver Nuggets to prove, hey, you can still win this way in the NBA. Moving to the Eastern Conference, the runner-ups in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics, a team that's oh too familiar with coming up short in the Eastern Conference Finals. A couple years ago, they ran into the buzzsaw that is LeBron James in a Game 7. And you know, they made a nice push for it. And whenever you lose a game seven to LeBron James, you can't really say, oh man, we should have won that. That's, that's what happens. You ran into greatness. It happens. And then you get Kyrie Irving back. Things don't go too smoothly whenever Kyrie was in town. You know, Kyrie was there. 
they could blame everything on, hey, he didn't fit in with us. He wasn't a guy that our team could win with. We're going to roll with this core where we get a guy like Kemba Walker. Jason Tatum is our superstar. Jalen Brown is the man. Like, that's it. That's our big three. That's the big three that Boston needs to win a title. And they came up short. They just didn't do what they needed to do. And I think, again, next year, Boston is going to be one of those teams that, like Denver, it's going to be tough. Guess what? Giannis is going to come back motivated. This Miami Heat team, yeah, they know what it's like to be in the finals. They're going to be back, and they're going to be really good. You get Boston. You know, you get Boston's there. They're going to be competing with them. You've got the Brooklyn Nets coming into the fold. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Say what you will about how Kyrie Irving can be toxic and how he was the reason the Celtics didn't win. Guess what? That guy hit one of the greatest shots in NBA Finals history. Kevin Durant is a proven winner now. He, you know, he's been to the finals with Oklahoma City. He's won finals MVPs with Golden State. He is the second best player of this generation. He is the guy that LeBron James is the best player ever, and he's the player of this generation. But Kevin Durant, if LeBron never existed, a lot of people will talk about Kevin Durant a lot differently. So now Boston, how do they get to compete with this team? What are they going to have to do? to advance and I think a lot of this falls on the shoulders like how I said Jamal Murray Michael Porter Jr. what can they do is Jason Tatum a legitimate NBA superstar or is he a good player that can't win you a championship right now he's still young he still has time to prove it but a lot of people have talked about Tatum as if he is this superstar player as if he is the face of the NBA he is the next young thing in the NBA he's the next best thing that the NBA has I don't see it that way. Luka Doncic is the best young player in the NBA. You have a guy like Zion Williamson who's going to come up and try and prove himself next year if he's healthy. And Jason Tatum has been far too inconsistent for me. You know, he's had some really impressive stretches where you look at him play and you're like, yeah, this guy's one of the best players in the NBA when he plays like this. But then he has stretches and games where you watch him and you're like, yeah, that guy's good, but he's nothing special. So I think it's going to be a lot of, is Jason Tatum really special or is Jason Tatum just another guy? And I think that's where it's going to come down to what the Celtics can do. And the biggest problem for the Celtics is they've had opportunities to land big names, to get them over the hump. The Toronto Raptors took a one-year flyer on Kawhi Leonard. They won a championship. They got some development out of guys like Pascal Siakam. And they felt what it was like to go on a title run. And while it didn't work out this postseason, you could tell the Raptors were an experienced playoff team. They, they had the confidence from winning the championship, kind of like what I think the Heat are going to have next year, the confidence from winning the East, making the finals, and winning, hey, a game, two games in the NBA Finals, that goes a long way mentally. The Boston Celtics, they could have landed guys like Kawhi Leonard. They could have landed guys like AD. They are in a big enough market that they can always land a free agent superstar. They are the Boston Celtics, Los Angeles Lakers. Tell me another franchise you'd rather play for besides those two. You can't say the New York Knicks. You can't say the Miami Heat. Those are the two historic great franchises that the NBA has to offer. So Boston rolling with the same strategy kind of that Denver has of let's just let's build with draft picks. You know, we'll sign a guy like Kemba who has done nothing in the postseason. It's an interesting strategy what Boston is trying to pull off, but I just don't see Boston being a team that's going to win the Eastern Conference if they don't add something or if Jason Tatum isn't a legit superstar. I don't know if Jason Tatum is ready to step up and become the NBA's next big superstar. So what are you doing, Boston? How do you plan to improve yourself this offseason? Because they're a team that if they continue to just roll with this core of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker, they're going to compete and they're going to compete hard for a long time. 
but I don't see this team ever getting over the hump right now unless Jason Tatum becomes a consistent superstar player. And I think that's in the realm of possibility for sure. It's not too crazy to think Jason Tatum could become a really great NBA player. But at this moment in time, Boston needs to do something to improve itself or else Boston is going to be in the same situation that Denver's in. They're going to be in the same situation a lot of teams get themselves in is they build a team that can compete, but not a team that can contend. And I think that's the biggest difference in the NBA is if you have a team that can compete, that's great. You're going to have a great fan base. They're going to be interested in a long time. And people are always going to say, well, hey, they're competing. They're going to be contending soon. But in order to become a contender, you need to make a move in today's NBA that says, wow, that's huge. That's, you know, they stepped up. They elevated their team. The Brooklyn Nets, they competed this year. You know, they competed in the bubble. Next year, they're going to contend because they have Kyrie healthy, Kevin Durant healthy. The Los Angeles Lakers last year, they were competing. Then they got rid of that young core that everyone was so obsessed with. They added Anthony Davis. Now they're contending. So Jason Tatum could be a superstar from within, but you can't rely on having 15 draft picks every year in Boston and say, hey, we're going to become contenders through these draft picks. No, you can compete with draft picks, but you cannot become a contender by settling down and saying, hey, buckle up. We're going to ride these draft picks for a few years and see what it gets us. So I think next year, Boston and Denver, the two teams that lost in the conference finals, while the future is very promising for both, a lot of people are going to say, hey, they've got a legitimate opportunity to become great. The future is not guaranteed in the NBA. So both of these teams have a ton of pressure on them, more so than the Heat or the Lakers have next year. Boston and the Nuggets need to prove they can contend, not just compete. The NBA and the NFL, they're always competing to be the, the top league, I feel like. And I, I, the NFL is always king. It's always going to be. It's the, it's the best league in sports in America. It's just, it's perfect. I love the NFL. But the NBA is always pretty interesting, you know? The NBA, outside of this past offseason where the NFL had some crazy free agent signings, a lot of movement this past offseason, the NBA offseasons are almost more interesting than the NBA seasons themselves. The, it's NBA postseason. NBA offseason, NBA regular season in terms of what's interesting ranked in order. So you've got those three, those are the three steps of each season and the NBA's offseason is always fascinating. So I'm going to look, so I've been looking into a few different things, the different, different possibilities that I would like to see what can happen with the NBA. And first of all, I just saw this as something I've been very curious about with Mike D'Antoni being out in Houston. You know, Houston needs a new head coach. But Mike D'Antoni needs a new job. And D'Antonio, D'Antoni, everywhere he goes, it's it's always been pretty fun. He has fun teams to watch. I love watching. Granted, a lot of people don't like watching James Harden play. I do. I think James Harden is fun to watch. But D'Antoni's system is one of the most unique in the NBA, without a doubt. D'Antoni, the way he runs an offense, the way he wants everyone to quickly go in transition to shoot the three ball. A report just got released, I just saw this pretty recently, that the 76ers... They're looking at Mike D'Antoni to be the head coach, and Joel Embiid, probably the first, second best player, depending on where you stand on him, in Philadelphia, he's okay with it. He is approving of Mike D'Antoni taking over as the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. And I don't love the fit there, but if you're talking NBA being interesting this offseason and next season, I will tune into every 76ers game that I can to watch Mike D'Antoni and his system work with guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Mike D'Antoni wants you to shoot the three ball. He wants you to just throw up shots. He doesn't care what happens. Ben Simmons has a literal fear of shooting three balls. He is 
it's a running joke in the NBA is, is Ben Simmons ever going to shoot a three? You know, he's shot how many, you can count on one hand, how many times Ben Simmons has shot, put up a three. It's, it's incredible, his aversion to shooting the three, especially in today's NBA. Mike D'Antoni, he is the very opposite of Ben Simmons. He says, hey, I don't care what your shots inside look like. Kick it out. Get the three ball. Why not take three points instead of two? That's what Mike D'Antoni lives on. That's what he dies on. The Rockets, the past few seasons, have died on the three ball. 27 straight missed threes against the Golden State Warriors. Could have won them a series. Could have them, sent them to the finals. But instead, they lost that series. They were out. And looks, and that's one of those many reasons that Mike D'Antoni is searching for a new job is because the system hasn't worked to the point where it can get you a championship. You've seen D'Antoni coach some really exciting teams, but the fit of D'Antoni in Philadelphia, please tell me if you're an NBA fan that you would not sit down and watch how Philadelphia with Joel Embiid, a real center, and Mike D'Antoni, a guy that literally didn't use a center last year. He went full small ball. He said, I don't need a center. I'm just going to put up three balls. We're going to play small ball. I don't care. How is that relationship going to work? Why would Joel Embiid approve of Mike D'Antoni as the head coach if that's if that's the relationship they could potentially have if Mike D'Antoni says, hey, I don't really need to use you that much? Or you have the relationship of Simmons and D'Antoni. Simmons with his three ball phobia, his aversion to shooting deep. And then Mike D'Antoni who says, hey, if there's one thing I want you to do in my system, it's shoot the three. That's just one of the most fascinating off-season matchups that I can imagine. Next season, if we get D'Antoni with Philadelphia, I will be tuned in. It's going to be must-watch television all season next year. Mike D'Antoni in the Philadelphia 76ers. But I was thinking about that, you know, wow, that'd be a really interesting matchup. And I was thinking of a few other things that I would like to see happen this off-season because, you know, we're getting close to, to the time where, you know, people are going to be moving around. Teams are going to be looking, hey, how can we upgrade or should we blow this up? What should we do? I have a few more pairings that I'm really interested in seeing. My first one that I really want to see right now is I want to see the Houston Rockets end things with James Harden. I want to see them set up James Harden for future success. I want them to get rid of Harden and say, hey, we're moving on. I think we're done with him. So that's the first thing I want to see is James Harden get traded. Where? Why not send James Harden to the Los Angeles Clippers. I, I know financially we've got to figure out how that could work. Get rid of Paul George. I don't care. But a Harden and Kawhi Leonard pairing. Two super, two superstars in the NBA. Two of the best players currently. I think they're two top five players in the NBA. Sure, if you disagree with me on Harden, whatever. I don't care. You've seen the way the guy scores. He's top five. So then you get James Harden and Kawhi Leonard. How would that fit? How would those two play together? And the personalities. James Harden is a quiet superstar. He's, you know, he does his thing. He doesn't say a ton. And Kawhi Leonard just doesn't speak. Kawhi Leonard is, you know, he's the silent guy. He's the robot. He's a machine. He doesn't say anything. He just plays basketball. I think the Kawhi Leonard-James Harden matchup, don't know how it would work. I think it would be quite interesting to see how that works. The Harden and his ball hog-ish style of play, but it works for him. And Kawhi Leonard and the way he plays defense, especially Harden is criticized as a defender. I don't think the criticism is all fair. I think some of it's a little bit unwarranted just to hate on Harden just because they can. But if you could throw in a Kawhi Leonard-James Harden matchup, that, that pairing, that would be exciting. And then you know what? If you're the Clippers, playoff P didn't really work out for you this year. What, what did Paul George do for you? He was one of the reasons you guys didn't make it as far as you could have. He was embarrassing in the playoffs. Get him down in Houston. Why, why not pair up Russell Westbrook 
and Paul George once again. Who, I mean, Houston, you don't really have anywhere to go from here. You guys are kind of stuck in NBA purgatory where you can probably win games still. You can be in the playoffs. You're not going to win a championship. You're not going to really make a super deep run in the playoffs. So why not try it again? Who cares? At this point, if you're Houston, you got to blow it up. I would love to see Harden and Kawhi play together. I think that'd be one of the more fun pairings in the NBA. Another one, Oklahoma City. They're blowing it up probably. They got rid of Billy Donovan. He's headed to the Bulls. Where does Chris Paul go from here? You don't keep a guy like Chris Paul on a team that is kind of maybe potentially tanking. I don't, I don't want to say the T word, but they could be tanking. So what do you do with Chris Paul? Uh, send him to Milwaukee. I know that Milwaukee needs some shooters. I think that's the biggest thing is I want to see Milwaukee add some shooters. But Chris Paul and Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Paul is desperate to win a championship. That guy deserves it. He's one of the great players of this NBA, of this era of NBA basketball. So imagine this, Chris Paul, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Chris Paul is going to get you wins. He is going to push you and he's going to be that guy. He would be playing with Giannis Antetokounmpo, which would be an incredible matching. You know, those two together would be pretty interesting. Chris Paul's not the shooter that you'd want him to be, but his mid-range game is solid. You've seen how he can carry a team like he did with the with the Oklahoma City Thunder this offseason. You know, this season you saw him carry OKC all the way into the playoffs, a team that was less than 1% chance to even make the postseason. So I think what you can get with this is Chris Paul, Giannis, both guys that need it. If you're Milwaukee, you're trying to hang on to Giannis. You're trying to make sure he doesn't leave you in free agency after next season. The best thing you can do for him, go all in. Grab Chris Paul, see if it works. Because at this point, you have everything to lose. Your franchise could leave you if you don't make a move. And this team, I know that, you know, you want to bring it back. You say, hey, we just had a bad series. We can, we can do this. You need to improve. The NBA, like I said, you can compete and you can contend. The, NBA, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, they could contend. But if you, if you watch them in the postseason, the way that Budenholzer coaches, you need something. You need another spark. Why not give Chris Paul that shot? Why not give Giannis the best player he would be playing with in his career up to this point? Give Giannis and Chris Paul a go. And if it doesn't work out, hey, you know, you were going to lose Giannis anyways. So guess what? Giannis leaves you. You can find a way to get rid of Chris Paul, do whatever you want, and then blow it up and try and rebuild. See what you can do. But you have everything on the line this year. It would be a real shame if Milwaukee decided to not do anything during this postseason. I think that would be one of the worst things that the Milwaukee Bucks could do. It'd be a, it would just be very disappointing to see a team as talented as Milwaukee, a player as talented as Giannis Antetokounmpo, try do nothing and absolutely you know not push it to the limit and not try and add a great player like Chris Paul. But in terms of the NBA offseason, you know, after this championship run, we're going to see, hopefully, at least I'm rooting for the Lakers, you're going to see Lakers, you're going to see Heat, you're going to see a really intense series. Uh, Jimmy Butler, he's a fun personality. He's fun to watch. I think you're going to see a really great NBA final series, but then you're going to come to the offseason. There's going to be a lot of decisions to be made, and the last decision that I want to see, the most interesting pairing for me that I would love to see in the offseason is one thing. If you're the 76ers, say you hire Mike D'Antoni. I don't love the pairing of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So you say you're D'Antoni, you're the, you know, you're thinking, all right, I don't even want a center. I'm Mike D'Antoni. Who needs one? You know, small ball. Let's do it. Get rid of Joel Embiid. That's what he says. I would love to see the Golden State Warriors try and grab Joel Embiid. A lot of people kind of think that might be a little crazy, but if you're the Warriors, look, 
you're getting towards the end of the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson days, you could try to see what it's like. Give them a big. Give them an elite big like Joel Embiid. And I know that people say, oh, he's a personality. I think Embiid's personality issues are overstated. Again, he's a guy that gets a bad rap because he has a big personality. And you've seen what the, what the Warriors have done. They've had the personalities of Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and Boogie Cousins all come together in a locker room with Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, you know, you can hate on them as much as you want. Those two guys will get along with anyone if it means they're going to win. Bring in Joel Embiid. He's a fun guy. He's a big. He's one of the best bigs in the league. You're going to be a threat pretty much everywhere on the court. You have Joel Embiid inside, and then you've got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, two of the greatest shooters in the history of this sport on the outside. So I think that if you're really looking at a way that you can improve this team, get rid of Wiggins. You don't need Andrew Wiggins. And then get rid of that second overall pick. The 76ers, they could sign, I don't know, Mike D'Antoni might really like a guy like, hey, say, LaMelo Ball. Imagine LaMelo Ball playing Mike D'Antoni's offense. He'd be putting up some big numbers immediately early on in his career. So if you're the Golden State Warriors, I'd say one of the biggest things you can do right now is go all in on the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson years. You don't have many of them left. So why not just say, hey, we're going to try and win a title and we're going to add the best possible player, a proven commodity in Joel Embiid instead of banking on this draft pick that you have, the second overall pick, instead of banking on it being a great player, why don't you grab someone that you already know is a great player and that you think could work out with you guys? That's kind of the angle that I'm looking at this at is if you're the Warriors with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, get, get a proven commodity. Don't rely on draft picks. Go get something that you know how good they can be, and that's Joel Embiid. Thanks for listening to Points in the Paint podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe for more and check out some of our other shows from the WCYJ Podcast Network, now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play.